All right, welcome to another episode of the Brain Food Podcast. In this one, ah, well, we've changed we changed our format a couple of episodes ago. So instead of doing any follow up up front, that comes at the end. For those of you regular listeners who maybe missed last week's episode, that's how we're running things now. So we're going to start off just jumping right into a quick fat, quick fat, quick fact. <laughs> it does feel a bit weird doing it this way around because on our YouTube channel, it's always like, here's the content, here's a quick fact or a bonus mm-hmm. fact. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like we we get into the quick fact at the beginning, but it's good. What are we talking about today in our quick fact? Yeah, today we're uh, so have you you've seen Ferris Bueller, Bueller's Day Off? Yes. Yeah, dude. I mean, I might not have seen The Princess Bride. I still haven't <laughs> seen The Princess Bride, but Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's a classic. Yeah. See, I was gonna say if you hadn't seen this one, I was gonna be like, oh man, that's, you, you that's, need to that's take a, a day off and watch movie. a couple movies. But uh, <laughs> uh, so the the um, Mr. and Mrs. Bueller, I think everyone. I can kind of picture them. Lyman Ward and Cindy Pickett is their real names. And they actually met on Ferris Bueller's Day Off and subsequently got married uh, um, pretty quickly. The movie came out in 1986 and they got married in 1986. Uh, and they had two children, a boy and a girl, similar to the movie. Uh, but they did not, uh, unfortunately, name them Ferris and Jeannie, but rather Shane and Miranda. Missed opportunity. I know, totally. And then, uh, unfortunately, they also uh, got divorced uh, in 1992 when they, uh, shortly after they appeared also as husband and wife in the film Sleepwalkers, which I believe it was as a Stephen King one or something, I think. Yeah. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they played the, uh, the parents of the main character, Tanya Robertson, in that one. And then, unfortunately, shortly after that got divorced. But... But the point being, they they the, the parents on Ferris Bueller's Day Off got married and had two kids, a boy and a girl, which I thought was quite interesting. It is it is quite a coincidence. I love these little movie coincidences and stuff. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and this is I can't remember any of the details, but essentially there was the same actor in two movies, and in both movies he was burned to death by another character, like he was set on fire. And I'm like, wow, can you imagine like being in two movies and having the same death? And he wasn't like a minor character or anything. You know what was even more crazy? The person who burned him to death in the first movie was Nicolas Cage. The person who burned him to death in the second movie was Nicolas Cage's then wife. Can you imagine? It was like they were talking about, can you imagine the conversations you'd have at dinner and be like, yeah, I also burned this guy to death in a movie. Crazy. I'll I'll find out what the details of that were for the next movie. Because I'm like, wow, that's I I like these movie coincidences. Are we ready for uh, ready to pay the bills? Yeah, totally. This is uh, another sponsor. We uh, sponsors are good. This podcast gets expensive to host. So, uh, Dashlane. I've actually worked with these guys before. They've sponsored. Uh, they've sponsored mm-hmm. the YouTube channel a couple of times, and so mm-hmm. I played around with their. Well, what are they basically? Dashlane makes identity and payments simple and secure by providing a tool that generates strong passwords, stores them, and auto fills them securely everywhere on the internet. Uh, like. The best way I kind of found of describing this was if you've used Chrome or like one of those web browsers and you know there's the uh, like enter your, do you want to save this password? And it's kind of, yeah. I don't know, but personally I, I will use that and then I'll go to a website like with the Chrome one and it's like, do you want to log in automatically? And then I click, yeah, I do. And it's like, oh, you got your password wrong. I'm like, how? You're a machine. Shouldn't you remember this? <laughs> but basically the, uh, the Dashlane, Dashlane app, it's free. And it makes it super easy. And that's another reason why it's good. Like, you, you don't have to pay for it. it. They gave us the premium features for free for 30 days, which if you listen to this show, you can get as well. And I don't, I have to say, is this good for an ad? I, I didn't use them. <laughs> uh, it just kind of did everything I wanted without using the premium features. But I'm sure the premium features are good. Did you, did you give this a try? It's really solid. 
I did not try the premium features either. <laughs> I found it to be adequate the way it was and, and way superior to just my old method of using like a notepad file. Yeah, just dude. kept a record of everything. <laughs> Bad idea. <laughs> yeah, not the best. One thing I thought was cool is, did you, this wasn't a premium feature and I was like, surely this is a premium feature, but where you can, like you log into the app and then you press a button on like, well, it'll tell you like, hey, you've got a weak password on like bbc.com. And I was like, okay. So it's recommending it changes it. You can change it with a click of a button. Hmm. So, you know, normally it's like That's go handy. to BBC, log in, attempt to log in, fail to log in, try and find your password somewhere. And then it's finally you log in. You're like, okay, reset password, send password link, log into my email, click on the link. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. This time you just hit a button and it somehow, I don't know how it does the whole like authentication thing with the emails, but you just click the button and it takes away your old password. It gives you a new password on the account and then you can, and then it saves that new password in your dash lane thing. So you're done. This was really cool. I had not seen this on any other thing like this before. That is handy. It is handy. You know what else it's handy for? Yes. Data. Do you do? Data features. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you did, you read the talking points for this ad. <laughs> uh, basically, so this is like, you know that like Sony or whatever, they get hacked and you're like, uh, like, I don't know, I'm kind of yeah. like, oh, I do have a Sony account. I'm just not going to think about that and just hopefully it'll like, go away. Yeah, 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 totally. Familiar? Um, and, <laughs> and then people use the, the same password for everywhere. Right. Uh, that's not good. Yeah. And it's like, great. So I don't care if my Sony hack account gets hacked into and someone buys like, I don't know, some Steam cred. That's a different platform. Anyway, like whatever they do on Sony. Um, it's PlayStation. That's what you can buy things for. Um mm -hmm. And so that's okay. But then if I use that same password for my internet banking, that's going to be an issue. So mm -hmm. what Dashlane do is they, when there's a data breach, they'll be like, hey, there's been a data breach and you use the data breach password on all of these other sites. You should consider changing those or use our magical wizardry password changing thing to do it for you. I've told enough about Dashlane. They're pretty good. In fact, that's mm -hmm. not strong enough. They're great. They're better than anything else I've tried. Dashlane.com forward slash brain food. You get that 30 days of premium, which you might or might not use. Uh, you can use, sorry, you need to use the promo code brain food as well to get that and a 10% off the premium after your 30 day trial. But the basic stuff's free. That's what I used. It's pretty awesome. Anything else you want to add on Dashlane? That was... I did want to add not so much on Dashlane, but unrelated, just something I thought interesting. So you know how like... Everyone does their passwords where they'll they'll put something and then they'll replace, uh, you know, with uh, the replace like a word with uh, some of the letters in the word with numbers or special characters and stuff. And a lot of passwords People do. I just use the word password. Yeah, yeah that is <laughs> a common everything. thing, too. <laughs> yeah, that's surprisingly common. And uh, even today. But yeah, so this this is a thing people do because it seems like it should be more secure. And in fact, most websites and services require you to do this anyway. Mm -hmm. And yet this does not actually make the thing much more secure at all. Like hardly at all because it's really easy to create an algorithm that just does those same substitutions that everyone does um, and so actually it was kind of funny um, so to start with these algorithms how they work a lot of the time so uh, in 2013 Google Google did a little study to see uh, what what people were using for their passwords and uh, and the people writing these these um, password cracking algorithms know this as well but it turns out they found almost everyone's passwords were either a birthday of a pet or the name of the pet a family member or a partner uh, anniversary or other significant date, birthplace, favorite holiday, uh, something to do with the favorite sports teams, and also, as you mentioned, 
password, the word password. And this is what pretty much everyone does. The most alarming thing about this for me so far is that people know the birthdays of their pets. Please don't. That's not a thing, is it? Celebrating your pet's birthday. Well, I imagine when you got the when you got the pet might be a little more accurate way of putting that. But uh, wait, but people the, will really mark. I don't have any pets. I li- I like animals fine. Really, guys? Like yeah, yeah, that's weird. What are you going to uh, get them? Like, like a new chew toy? Yeah, I can vaguely remember the year I got my pets, but like <laughs> that feels and about the, sort right. Of the time, the time of the season, I guess. <laughs> but otherwise, it was cold. Yeah, yes, definitely winter. Um, but yeah, so. So uh, in any event, so the, when they create the, the algorithms to sort of crack people's passwords, all this mm-hmm. information is quite readily available online if you want to target a specific person. So it's quite easy then to make those little substitutions of random characters, which is why this is a completely useless way to do it. And it makes it really hard to remember passwords, as uh, everyone knows, especially when the service requires you to change the password uh, very frequently, which, which also isn't good because then it ends up just people writing it down, you know, and then, then you know, easier way to find it. But yeah. the point being... The whole point of this, for people who want to change their passwords and make them actually somewhat secure, uh, a password like basically, if you just had your password be, my password is pretty easy to remember. That sentence is a really, really secure password, uh, far more than just even random characters of, you know, like random 10 characters or something, uh, which... which Even know. including like the symbols and the exclamation points and all of the weird yeah. stuff that people yeah, want to throw Also, there are, you know... When it's like you're using like the the hash symbol or whatever, it's like where the hell's the hash symbol again? Like Shift Control yeah. Three. Yeah, yeah. And so I the point is, I look at my keyboard. I'm not even sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the point is, it's like the longer it is, every extra every extra character you do makes it uh, just like an order of magnitude harder to crack because there's mm-hmm. order of magnitude more possibilities. And so when you just do like a sentence like that, just a simple sentence that's super easy to remember, uh, that's really hard to crack. Um, and, uh, and, and these sort of random character passwords that everyone uses that are like eight to 16 characters are really, really easy to hack. Uh, uh, I'm also using some of the information that people know about people if they want to target someone. So, uh, the point being there is that, uh, yeah, change your passwords to that or, or do as the national cybersecurity center recommends and use a service like Dashlane, um, to just keep track of all your passwords for you. Is that a real thing? Or did you just put that in because we got a sponsor? That is an absolute real thing wow. uh, to use a software to track passwords. That way, uh, the point there being, um, so not only do you make, you should you make these longer passwords like a sentence or something like that, um, which is easy to remember, but then you don't want to remember like a different sentence for each each uh, website you use or whatever. And so you're going to end up using the same one. And then if there's a hack, like you mentioned, then they know all the passwords for all your stuff. So if they, if, you know, if that data is revealed, um, and so then a, a password manager software like this will allow you to use a different one for every service and not have to worry about actually remembering it i think just there you go like as much as the ad read and the the stuff was yeah. was great it's just like hey look the government says do it so it's probably yeah. like a safe well the government said a lot of things but this seems yeah. pretty solid like here's a recommendation it's a good idea just just use it is manager it is shockingly surprising how even huge companies do something that any computer science major like computer science 101 security 101 that you learn is to not store, you know, passwords and stuff in plain text and not store this sort of like secure data that you want to secure and to use really good hashing algorithms. And instead they don't. And so that like the most famous example of this, I think is just amazing that happened fairly recently was that, did you hear the Equifax, uh, Equifax hack? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, Where, uh, for those who don't know, I've heard of this, is it, it's a credit thing, right? 
Yeah, exactly. They keep basically all your credit information, your your social security number, address, everything. Wait, that's that's like important information. Yeah, all your finances, everything. They keep track of this. It's a it's just a rating for your your credit, basically the banks use and stuff. Uh, and so yeah, they they are. It turns out their system. All you had to do was log on or go onto their website, not log on, just put in the right URL with the sort of the right search query at the end, you know, so just uh, that their database used. And uh, you could just, uh, all that data would just be dumped out. And it turns out that 145.5 million people in the U.S. had their data exposed in this way. Uh, and it, uh, it it's just crazy. And uh, 15 million people in the U.K. that Equifax Dude, is that's like track a of. quarter of the people in the U.K. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And in the U.S., what is that, like half? Um, that, that all, and it just, they were, they were storing it all in plain text in their database, all this social security numbers, everything. It's just like, what? And then available on their website, just by putting in the right, you just had to put the right information in the URL to request the right data from the database, basically. So So, so not only that, they weren't sanitizing their, their inputs there on the URL, which is also like computer science security 101. Like this is something that you, I mean, it's like one of your first assignments in these classes. (laughs) It's just insane. Did you uh, like we, we don't have this uh, social security number thing, which seems like a great uh, like, it's a great idea not to have this because uh, did you see that CGP gray video on this? No. What do you do? What do you do? With it, it? What, well, we, how do they? It seems like this is just a number. There's no like ID card attached to it. It's just some number that identifies people. But if you've got mm-hmm. that number, you can apply for like a load if, and you've got the person's details. You can apply for a load of stuff mm-hmm. like if by us, mm-hmm. if you want to go like open a bank account. You're going to need to take like a passport, a bill, mm-hmm. a driver's license to go and get this done. But it's kind of, it seems pretty crazy that you just have this one number. It's kind of like, yeah, that, that's, that's ID. It's like, that's not ID. Yeah. It's just a random number that was assigned to someone. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Um, so what do you guys, what do you have for like an ID of like, a, how do you, I don't know, identify with whatever government tax thing or whatever? Uh, you have like... In the UK, you have something called a national insurance number, or you mm-hmm. have like, a, I think it's eh, it's like a tax ID number or something, but mm-hmm. it's not an ID. It's just for that purpose. Okay. It's just for like employers yeah. and employees. It doesn't do anything else. And, yeah. and it's like, if you like, I would, I share that with like, when you rent a car or something, you can use that number to also like get your driving records in combination with your driver's license. But yeah. it's not like some magical thing that gives you, gives people access to all your stuff. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I believe the the social security one was originally just supposed to be for the social security system, and then just it became a convenient number to identify everyone with, and so lots of different services started just using it uh, as a, as an identifier, and then it kind of snowballed from there. Um, I think that's how it was. Don't quote me on that because I have not actually researched that myself. Definitely, but. you like CGP Grey. His video on this is yeah. I I don't remember the details now, but it was a while ago. But it's I remember it being very good. Yeah, so uh, that is the end of the practical knowledge segment. I just thought I'd throw that in there because everyone does their passwords wrong. And like, it seems like it would be really secure to write like these random numbers and stuff. And it is if you make it really long, but that just makes it impossible for you to remember. So why not just use a sentence you can remember or that sort of thing? It's Uh, just like computers think in a totally different way to us. So like, just because it's hard for you to remember doesn't mean it's hard for, for, for you to crack. It's not hard for a computer. Yeah. Oh, and I forgot to mention uh, why. There's actually kind of a funny reason why... um, why we? Why do we do passwords this way? Why does everyone require the passwords to have all these random characters and stuff when it doesn't actually make it more secure? And it turns out it was one guy who just wrote a recommendation at some point. I think it was in the early two thousands. Was it Bill Bill, Bill Burr, not the comedian, but like uh, the uh, wow, that's a coincidence. We were just talking about Bill Burr <laughs> yeah, before no, we hit record. Yeah. 
<laughs> I know. So not the comedian, but a different guy. And he just and he in his own defense, he was like, there was no book out there. I, I was the one writing the book and I didn't really know, but I was tasked. It was my job to write this recommendation <laughs> thing. So just it's like I'm writing a book on technology and recommendations. Yeah. I don't really know. Well, it seems about he right. worked. He worked. I think it was some government job or something. He was supposed to be giving giving recommendations on what people and it just seemed <laughs> secure, you know, from his research. It seemed like it was a good idea. And then it turned out later not to be. But we have a whole video on this uh, on YouTube, which I'll link in the description because it's quite interesting on the sort of history of passwords and, and, uh, and the sort of the development there. And now for something completely different. Is there any way to transition? I don't know if two topics could be more different because <laughs> we're talking about shrunken heads. Shrunken heads and how our shrunken heads made. So a lot of people actually think that shrunken heads are not a real thing, like it's some sort of a fake thing. But it turns out, no, it is totally real and like a thing that people used to do not that long ago with certain people, I should say. I feel like I've seen a shrunken head. Yeah, and but people often think they're like fake, like just made of rubber or whatever. But no, there are, I mean, there are a lot of fake ones, but there also are genuine real ones and they found in museums and stuff today. Mm. But um, so yeah, the, uh, so... This idea of like taking human heads, decapitating and stuff, this was this has been a thing uh, pretty much since as long as humans have been warring. Uh, there's been references of like, you know, taking someone's head, you put, you know, rope through it or whatever, tie it around your waist. It's like a trophy, take it home, whatever. Uh, this is a thing many peoples of the world. You're very yeah. casual about that. Tie it around yeah. your waist, wear it as a pendant. <laughs> totally. You know. <laughs> Yeah, it was, I think it was, uh, this isn't in my notes, but the, I think it was like the third century BC. I think the, the Chinese or the people around that, that area, uh, were, were doing this as a mm -hmm. thing. And then like pretty much like all nations of the world were, or all groups, various groups around where they, this sort of thing pops up every now and again. Independently of each other or were they kind of like, Hey, that looks cool. <laughs> I think I, it's a, more just like a trophy and like, yeah, we'll, you know, so take bizarre. their heads, put it on put it on display, sort of a deterrent for, you know, other enemies coming in. You know, if you see like a bunch of heads on a, on spikes or whatever and you know, that yeah, sort of but thing. Why do they have to be shrunken? Like, isn't a skull like, like I'd find this, like a shrunken head is kind of like weird and gross. But if I see a skull, I'm like, oh, that's a human skull. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, the shrunken heads, they took it. There was a, a group, the, the Javaron. Uh, tribes in Ecuador and Peru, or modern-day Ecuador and Peru, I should say. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, they they took this this idea to to a whole other level of taking the heads and then and then uh, sort of making a science out of it and shrinking the heads uh, in and you know keeping them for a little while, but also uh, as you'll see, eventually selling them um, for for profit to Westerners who who wanted the heads. But who doesn't um, want a head as a Westerner? Yeah, totally. I'm gonna eBay that right after we get done today. Yeah. Yeah. They, they had kind of, uh, their reasons were also the kind of that classic trophy motivation, but they also had religious reasons for it. So they had, um, they kind of, they've, they have this, this kind of interesting religion where they have, uh, each person has these multiple spirits sort of about them. Uh, and, and one of them is called a Musak. And this spirit was sort of a, a spirit that could inhabit a body. And then if, so if you killed someone, that spirit might, that spirit within them might come and get revenge on you, you know? So it was like a bad, mm -hmm. A bad deal for you. So one of the ways to get around this was was this process of shrinking the heads, or at least they thought, uh, as we'll get into momentarily. Um, so yeah, and then they also had another another thing. So when they another motivation for killing and taking the head was um, so when you killed someone, there was another spirit called the eratum, and that one would give it sort of like gave you power. You know, like it was like a this sort of spirit that people possessed. And when you're born, you're not born with this one uh, in there in their yeah. thing. But once you had it, it kind of provided you some level of protection 
which I think is a little ironic considering to get it, you have to kill someone who has it. Um, so, but in any event, they, uh, they'd also thought they could protect you from disease and stuff. And they thought if a boy, like a, a young man who didn't have one of these wouldn't, wouldn't survive to adulthood because they'd get a disease or get oh, killed naturally. or whatever. Yeah. Well, so, you didn't have your own, you didn't have a shrunken head while you were growing up. Well, no, no. And so they, otherwise you'd have died of disease. Oh yeah. Well, they also, they had to, yeah, exactly. They had to actually kill to acquire it as well. So they, I mean, they quite young, um, often even before puberty or anything, they were out, you know, trying to kill and take a head. Uh, and so this was just sort of part of their culture. Yeah. Um, the oh, and then, yeah. And then to keep it going, they, uh, they also, if you didn't then continue to do this killing and stuff and, um, acquire new, new, this new Aratum spirit, uh, the old one that you had might just leave, like, I don't know, it gets bored or something. I know there's like reasons why these sort of superstitions get started, like the old yeah. classic, like, oh, we uh, we didn't sacrifice a goat that day and the volcano erupted. So now we must mm -hmm. always sacrifice goats. And I understand like the the logic, air quotes, of how something like that arises. But this is yeah. really specific and weird. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then how it continues with like confirmation bias and all that, you know. Absolutely. So, like, uh, oh, well, so... It's been a thousand years of sacrificing goats and the volcano <laughs> has not erupted. Yeah, so, yeah, oh, and then... By, uh, by the way, I, I, I know I'm supposed to be, like, involved in the conversation, but I did eBay <laughs> Shrunken Head <laughs> yeah. very quickly, and I have to share, I'm fairly sure these are fake. In fact, I think if I read the whole listing, it would say so, but it's just amazing. Do you want to hear the description? It sure. says, This sale is for one randomly selected small shrunken head from a basket. First pick shows stock from which it will be picked. And then this is great. We've got, there's a picture of, of the, the shrunken head next to a can of Coke to illustrate scale. And I'm like, this, this, it's like, really? Sponsored by Coca-Cola. <laughs> it could be. It could be. Sorry. 11, 11 pounds, by the way. So what is that oh, like? Oh, yeah. Is it like an animal? Because that is a thing that people started making counterfeits of like using monkeys and stuff. Because that was legal. And it kind of like in the end, it, it ends up looking about the same because of some of the process they put it through uh, so it was actually kind of hard to tell the difference between like a monkey and a human uh, head when when the process is finished looking at it i believe it to be because they say it's made out of alpaca alpaca is that oh. that's like a llama or something isn't it yeah so it's but it doesn't look like that so i think they've got a fake skull they've stretched the skin over it and then they've shrunken it down over the skin over the the fake skull or whatever it doesn't look very very like I would imagine a shrunken head to look. Although there are absolutely more realistic ones on eBay for those who are interested. This yeah. episode brought to you by shrunkenheads.co.uk. All right, so yeah. <laughs> so getting back to also their their other motivation was just also, they, they were, I mean, the spirit thing is a big thing. They also, their ancestors had spirits that were around and they wanted to, so I mean, with all this killing going on, someone in their ancestry had got killed in the past. And so uh, sort of a part of this was also to kill enemy tribe members and stuff to uh, sort of a blood revenge uh, to appease their ancestors. So like, all right, we killed them, they killed you. So, you know, it's it's sort of a whole thing. Um, yeah. So this and this was actually it wasn't just them. I mean, they warred among themselves a lot, but also also when like when the Spanish arrived, um, they, they killed many, many thousands of, of Spanish colonists around the turn of the 17th century, for instance. Uh, they actually banded together to do this and did, you know, their headhunting that way. Yeah, so so once once they had it, uh, they would sort of decapitate the, the enemy or whatever. And then just kind of like I was saying before, they would start by just taking, use the, uh, you know, the hole in the neck and the mouth to sort of put us, you know, 
some sort of vine or whatever to tie it around, you know, sling it over their shoulders Mm -hmm. and run off. Because often, of course, when they're invading like another tribe or whatever, they want to get in, get out as quickly as possible. So they get in, you know, chop off the head, you know, grab the head, run away. And uh, if they can, like if it's a total... In terms of like a speedy process, chopping a head off, it's not super quick. And you wouldn't think two heads are super heavy. Oh yeah. Well, and you wouldn't think, especially with whatever, I mean, it's not like they were using like modern, you know, like really awesome swords or something, you know, no. uh, to, to decapitate. So yeah, if they had time, you know, while they were there, they would also murder the, any elderly ladies around, uh, and then also take any young ladies back with them, you know, grab them, grab them and go. Um, so that was also uh, secondary, but the main thing was for, of these raids was often just to get the head, get in, get out. So you get that, you know, that spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so oh, it just sounds so daft. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. So now we're going to get into the actual, the actual main part here is how did they actually do this? Like, how did uh, they take this head this that has a skull nice. and everything and then shrink it down and then have it still look sort of like a head? Um, yeah. Like I mean, a, the like skull's a, like, skull is, you yeah. can't shrink that, right? Yeah. No, no. Yeah, that's you that's can't. coming out. Yeah, and so the, the whole process, it's quite a quite a detailed process, takes about a week to to do. Um, so they would they would kind of do like if they could, you know, if it was a raid that where they were safe to just kind of go away a little bit and then they can start the process right away, uh, they would do that. Otherwise, you know, they, they might uh, they might go a little further or whatever. When they start, they first start by slitting the on the uh, up in the neck and up through the head, uh, just to sort of take the skull out. Basically, that's their goal. There is to yeah, is to take the skull and all the brains and everything <laughs> out. Ah, yeah, I'm this. Yeah. Yeah. And then they take that and they just, you know, toss it in the river or whatever to give to the, um, so, so, so like anaconda and stuff like that was sort of their, they thought were like spirit helpers and stuff. So it was sort of like you the know, feed snake. Em. Yeah. Yeah. Just what, to they, feed them. They just, no. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And the, then they're keeping the outer, basically the point here is they're keeping the outer part, right? You so know, you got like skin. some sort of weird face mask. Like, yeah, exactly. Oh. Very, what yeah. happens to the eyes and stuff? Are they in the skull or are they in the... Yeah. Are they at- no, they're just the soft issues like that goes away. And so they... um, Because they'll end up they'll end up sewing the eye socket shut so you don't, you know, you oh, don't yeah, need the yeah. eyes anymore. Yeah. Um, so... And and actually that part of that was the sewing of the of the lips and the eyes is just to keep that spirit in, you know, that aforementioned spirit uh, so they can't come out and get revenge. Um, so yeah, so they, they take it and they, um, you know, like I just said, they... They sew the eyelid shut and they put little wooden pegs in the beginning just on the on the on the lips because they actually need to put stuff in uh, more. So they'll they'll leave the wooden pegs in for now and later they'll sew it up. But yeah, so then then they take it and they simmer the head or the remains of the head in for about an hour to two hours or so in a large boiling pot of water. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is what causes a lot of the shrinking of the skin and everything to take place. And uh, but th- there's key here is you, you got to. You can't boil it too long because the hair will fall out then. And I don't know if they thought this was a bad thing, I guess. Um, you okay. want to keep that hair. And if you don't do it long enough, the, the, it's, it turns out really gooey. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. And so, like, nobody wants a gooey, Ugh. shrunken head that's just gross, you know? So no. they, they, they want that medium, they want that medium, that good medium where it's kind of hardened up and everything, but, not, not, but the hair is still, still there. So they're just, like, cooking it. Basically. Yeah, boiling it, basically. Ugh. Uh, but not too long, you know, you don't want to overdo the head. Um, so you don't the, the, want the hair to fall out. That would be a disaster. It would look terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so at this point, uh, when once this process is done boiling, it's about a third of the original size and it's also very dark mm. and a very rubbery feeling. Um, and so, yeah, this, then is they, kind of, this is kind of just like a, 
like the the weird mask thing, right? It's just that. Yeah, well, it's skin. It's the whole, but even even you know the whole head, the whole the skin for the whole head. So yeah, it's yeah. like a mask, but you know wrap wrap around. But you're missing the skull, so there's not really any form yeah. to it, right? No, not at this point, really. So yeah, so then <laughs> then they take it out of the boiling pot and you know let it cool off, and then they turn it inside out, and then scrape off any of the remaining flesh that's inside, you know, that's not needed. Uh, just kind of scrape it off, make it nice and smooth. Then they they put it back, you know, right side out. And uh, yeah, then they sew together the back part. But they're not done yet because, of course, this is just like this miniature little, you know, rubbery thing. And so then they put like some very small stones and sand that they've heated up a lot uh, to inside. They sort of fill it. And that will actually cause the skin to retract even further right. and sort of tight, tighten around the form, basically. The sand and stuff kind of gives it the, and also tans the inside kind of thing. And so, yeah, it just kind of tightens around it. And so now you have a head that does have, you know, some structure to it um, and is even smaller. And then they use some hot stones and stuff on the outside to also kind of tan it and also to sort of shape the face. So it looks, you know, nice, like a nice face. I'm just shaking my head. <laughs> Yeah. And then next up, uh, next up, they use charcoal and ash to kind of make it darker. Uh, and then, um, yeah, and the whole thing uh, is just... Why? Yeah. And then over... <laughs> just, they, they, they just rub some charcoal on there. Yeah. Talk well, then up. they hold it over it a fire. Uh, hold it over a fire to also harden and blacken it a little uh. more. And I don't know what their obsession with making it darker was, but apparently this must have had some meaning for them. Yeah. And then, and then well, now that they're all done... They pull the wooden pegs out, sew the lips shut, and then it's just, now it's just this nice little thing. Oh, oh, I forgot to mention, then they put a hole in the top of the head to insert uh, sticks and a string so they can wear it as a, as a necklace. Well, that was grim. And then, oh no, and, it, and then they go home, if they're not already home, and once they're all done with this process, all the villagers hold a really big party that can last, you know, like a series of celebrations of their victory, um, mm-hmm. basically, with these things. Just wearing them or like having yeah. them around. Yeah, it's like a trophy, you know. You know, I feel like last week we talked about, uh, was Burke and Howers last week, right? The, the, yeah. The two guys who were basically murdering people to sell their bodies to, to scientists yeah. of the day. I thought that was fairly dark. I don't know why this yeah. one is, I think it's just because it's much more graphic in a way. Yeah. But it's really totally. quite unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, even though the other is, 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 I mean, if you think about it, the other is almost more pleasant, unpleasant, I should say. It's a... Uh, yeah, but I, I feel like when it's like dissection, because like, yeah, they killed people, but then it was off to medical uses. This is just yeah. kind of like, let's shrink people's heads down and wear them as jewelry. Well, but I don't know, like it's Burke, more and Hare, Burke and Hare were like doing it just for a little bit of money. Whereas these people have like genuine beliefs that like this is something that will is good for their tribe and themselves and, you know, and good for their ancestors. And so like they're, uh, you know, I don't slightly... know what's worse, the logical pursuit of money or the sacrificing of goats, you know, yeah, like, yeah. It was something, you know, equally daft. Yeah, but um, well, an interesting thing is after they were done with these celebrations, they kind of just got rid of the heads. They didn't, I mean, they would feed them to animals and they would give them to their kids to play with, which is, who doesn't love a good head toy Dude. for their kids? Um, and so, yeah, they, uh, yeah. And, and I mean, eventually they did start when once the Westerners came into the show and of course were like, hey, can I, I'll trade you this knife for that head. That's awesome. Um, they they started to then keep the heads and started trading them and then also started ramping up their killings 
as much as possible so they could get more heads and sell them and get guns and knives and things of this nature. Look, if, if these guys had seen any movie from the 1980s, they would know not to feed those shrunken heads to the animals because once they've got a taste of human flesh, <laughs> they don't want anything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Wait, so the Westerners come down. Uh, are they trading here or is this kind of like, let's kill everyone and like the Spanish times or no this was a little bit later this so this is when these trades started was more like in the in the late 1800s early 1900s it was super super popular so at this point they weren't like yeah i mean in the beginning they were the these tribes were totally just like let's kill the spaniards because they're invading (laughs) our stuff and these tribes actually were some of the few that very successfully resisted for quite some time the the uh you know the groups coming in so they they had some success at this and you know presumably they were quite practiced at killing all the time so mm-hmm. uh, they were quite good warriors in that respect so so now the western has come down and they just like the head so they're just trading they're yeah, just like, like hey I'll, I'll give you something for that that cool shrunken head that you're wearing around your neck that protects you from the yeah. spirits of some sort of something yeah, so after and after they were done with their parties and stuff, they didn't really need the heads anymore. They'd already contained the spirit, the evil spirit, and uh, you know, avenged their ancestors and acquired that uh, spirit of power. So they they uh, they didn't need the head anymore. So they were happy to just sell it for guns, which made a great thing to go get more heads and stuff. Made a much more effective um, way to do that. So so yeah, that became a thing for a while. And then of course, uh, counterfeits, like I said, started popping up because this, there's such a market. And so people started using heads of monkeys and also uh, heads attained from morgues and, you know, cemeteries and things like that as well. It became quite a thriving, thriving trade. Well, I feel like if they're, you know, the, the demand for heads is so high that they have to go out and get more heads. I'm kind of like, that's okay that you use them from the morgue. That seems like a, <laughs> yeah, well, a little better. Like, I know that we, I think we've talked about it before, like donating your body to science and stuff. Uh, or like organ donation and all of these things uh, like I always am a bit nervous about the donating the body to science one because I'm like what if the science thing is like shrunken head experimentation because it's not just like we're going to use your body to cure cancer it's like yeah. uh, no your body's going to be chopped up by medical students who don't really know what they're doing yeah probably or or as we discussed uh, the the uh, somewhat cooler ones where they do in uh, crash test dummies which is actually a thing yes. car manufacturers use but don't like to talk about it's like the real well, I remember cadavers saying, they specific it's like ford does not use the use of human cadavers in testing their cars but we do hire this other company called ford body testing which does (laughs) yeah absolutely does and they test their like their seatbelts and you know various uh, airbag configurations and stuff using people's donated bodies uh, which is i mean I mean, a good thing that's helped save lives in the end and their people aren't using their bodies anymore but it does definitely it's not a good pr pr thing to to admit to I'd be okay with it as long as I'm not like, you know, what are you testing his body in? Oh, he's in the backseat of a Ford Explorer. I'd rather be like, he was in a flipped over eight roll time Lamborghini. That's what we needed to test. Yeah. And that's how his body is going out. I'd be like, I could get behind that. But the, uh... yeah. Yeah. Or the, the military also, if you donate, you might, you might uh, get to sent to the military who can use, you know, use your body for often testing explosives and various weapons, which is kind of a, that's an cool. interesting one. So you get like blown up and stuff. I don't know if that's that appeals to to someone. That's always an option. <laughs> Definitely more so than the shrunken head, but I'm not sure it's high on my list. No, no. Um, no. Unless you're talking something really cool, like what are the effects on a body of dropping a, a nuclear bomb directly on it? Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, that's yeah. okay. Could take that. 
But yeah, so as you might imagine, around the um, it turns out around the 1930s, the Peruvian and Ecuadorian governments they outlawed trafficking in shrunken heads because there was just they were trying to diminish the number of killings that were going on for this purpose. Um, so yeah, and then uh, with the introduction of Western culture and religion, the the uh, the practice of actually doing this, of actually making the shrunken heads, has decreased uh, throughout the 20th century, and it's thought that there haven't been any new shrunken heads or authentic shrunken heads made in the 21st century anymore by these tribes. Good. Good. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's good that the demand for that has fallen. Although yeah. clearly there are people selling these or fake ones on eBay. So, so. so, you know, what's funny to think about though, is they were, if the hair was so important to them, would they really not be interested in like, in like your head? They'd be like disappointed. They would come and just be like, oh, what? Dude, that's true. <laughs> They'd just You'd leave be like, me alone. They'd be like, look at that bald man. He must be possessed by the devil. We can't touch him. Yeah. No, For those who don't watch our YouTube channel, I am fully bald. <laughs> I, I really wonder, though, what was with the wanting to keep the hair? Like, why was that so important to them? It's got to be some, like, uh, if they're like, oh, it keeps the spirits out by killing this yeah. person and it helps the boy get through pubes. It, it's, not, it's not based on logic. It's probably just some weird thing. I'm not seeing any real shrunken heads on eBay. Maybe that's probably yeah. maybe they're not allowed to be sold on eBay. But um, I bet there's like a curios online curiosity shop or yeah. There's a there's a there's various museums that have the authentic ones um, as well. Like I think there's one in the UK in London. I think and um, various places that do have do have real ones from you know from back in the day. I sense a road trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, speaking of things in the UK and um, you know heads. Of Smooth. dead humans. Smooth. Yeah. So we have the uh, uh, the fascinating saga of Jeremy Bentham's head. And for, for those who don't know who this is, this is a very famous philosopher. Um, he was uh, born in 1748. And uh, yeah, so he, he, among other things, he's, he's one of the founding fathers of utilitarianism. He also, he also among his many, many, many writings, uh, advocated for such things in his time. This is the 18th century as minimum wage, gay rights, universal suffrage, equal rights for women, ending slavery, separation of church and state, freedom of expression, the end of physical punishment, uh, animal welfare, and ceasing capital punishment altogether. Well, the right wing would call this guy a libtard even today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this was this was his uh, his thing. His uh, father actually wanted him to be a lawyer, but he he uh, ended up getting disillusioned with the with the state of law at the time, and so his just father became... didn't want him to just be a lawyer. I I know this. I know that the kind of story of Bentham. His father, and you've got it here. His father wanted him to be the Lord Chancellor of England. That's like yeah. uh, who's who's the head of finance in in your country? Uh, like the guy who runs the budget, like the Secretary of Finance. Yeah, something, something like that. I don't know. Secretary of the Treasury. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's like this dude who's like so, your your son's like eight years old. It's like honestly, I do think he is smart enough to become the secretary of the treasury. Yeah, he was possible. super smart <laughs> he was though. Super like super smart though. Yeah. 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 Learning Latin at age three, which of course, I mean, most educated people back then learn Latin, but that's a pretty early age to be taking that on. And then also uh, Queens College, Oxford at twelve. And yeah, he was just he was a bit of a prodigy in in all things learning. Uh, and yeah. So he decided not to go into law, though, because he really didn't. He just didn't like the state of law at the time in, in England. And so it was just uh, he became a philosopher, writing all sorts of cool things. A very prolific writer. And uh, yeah, so but that we don't really want to talk about that today. We're going to talk about what happened after his death, uh, because when he died on June 6, 1832, he had a will. And in the will, he had a very interesting thing he wanted done with his body. So we're going to have you read some of his will right now. Okay. 
Here's a, here's a lengthy quote, but bear with us. It's, it's a good one. My body I give to my dear friend, Dr. Southwood Smith, to be disposed of in a manner hereinafter mentioned, and I direct that he will take my body under his charge and take the requisite and appropriate measures for the disposal and preservation of the several parts of my bodily frame in the manner expressed in the paper annexed to this will, and at the top of which I have written auto- Icon. The skeleton he will cause to be put together in such a manner as that the whole figure may be seated in a chair usually occupied by me when living, in the attitude in which I am sitting when engaged in thought in the course of time employed in writing. I direct that the body thus prepared shall be transferred to my executor. He will cause the skeleton to be clad in one of the suits of black occasionally worn by me. The body so clothed together with the chair and the staff in the my latter years borne by me, he will take charge of and for containing the whole apparatus he will cause to be prepared an appropriate box or case, and will cause to be engraved in conspicuous characters on a plate to be affixed thereon, and also on the labels on the glass cases in which the preparations of the soft parts of my body shall be contained. My name at length with the letters OB followed by the day of my decease. If it should so happen that my personal friends and other disciples should be disposed to meet together on some day or days of the year for the purpose of commemorating the founder of the greatest happiness system <laughs> of morals and legislations, my executor will from time to time cause to be conveyed to the room in which they meet the said box or case with the contents therein to be stationed in such part of the room as to the assembled company shall meet. I got a couple of things to say about this. One, reading text from the 18th century is difficult enough. Two, reading te legal text from the 18th century, particularly difficult. I have no idea. Like, there are sentences there when we were prepping for this that I'm like, I have absolutely no idea what the correct, like, where the correct uh, emphasis in this sentence goes yeah. or where I should pause or anything. So it does sound like it's, it's, there are sentences kind of like, I get the meaning, but I have no idea, like, the correct emphasis yeah. and stuff. Yeah, because back then they always did these like paragraph long, you know, sentences and stuff, which uh, if yeah. you ever read like Ben Franklin's autobiography, it's which is great. Ben, um, did you not yeah. like commas? He he literally has like pages, like a whole page of one sentence where it's just one sentence and it's like a whole page. And I actually really like it. Uh, the style, I don't know, the style of his writing is, is really good and interesting. And his autobiography is, is just amazing and quite frank about a lot of things you don't, you don't, you know, they don't teach you in in Isn't normal history ben classes franklin yeah boom yeah. boom, boom. <laughs> yeah 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 for, uh, uh, for example he has a, he has a segment on uh uh basically his propensity to like to uh have sex with older women ah oh. and his his choice for this as to why older women are the best uh, in this way and especially back then i suppose but yeah uh, he has just got stuff like that which is just hilarious and stuff that no one ever talks about, like Ben Franklin. He just says it right out, you know, just has whole discourses on these sorts of, you know, day-to-day -day things and things that are Isn't quite that, hilarious. He would he would do some, like, outside bathing is what he called it. Where, is, this was Ben Franklin, right? Where he'd just sit in a chair naked, like, and let the wind blow onto him. And he was like, this is just like an, he's like an outside bath. Like, I, haven't, oh. I haven't heard that one, but it would not surprise me from uh, from what you can find in his autobiography, which is great. But in, in any event, I'll follow up because I, I, yeah. maybe it's not Franklin, but I feel like it's yeah. one of it wouldn't dead it would not be surprising at all. Um, but yes, the uh, so yeah, going back to, to Bentham. So why why did he want his body uh, displayed in this way? Isn't well, really just, clear. 
just before we move on from the from the quote, can I just say like that sentence? Uh, where was it? Where he's like, essentially in modern day English. Hey, if uh, the people who follow me because I'm amazing want to meet and discuss me occasionally, please take my body out of its case and put it in the room when they're discussing my amazingness. Yeah. It's like, yeah. All right. Which is uh, pretty see, funny. Like, it's I, I, funny, I see, but I mean... It's, there's got to be some, some level of sense of humor going on here where he just, it's funny in his head, so he's like, why not? This, right. this will be hilarious. Yeah, and the the problem here is if you notice on the the date there uh, in the early 19th century of when he died, it was actually illegal to do this to dissect him in this way. Uh, only only people, or in the UK, I should say, um, only people who were executed as criminals could be dissected legally. Uh, but um, lucky for him, his friend Dr. Southwood Smith uh, thought that was silly, as he did as well. So his uh, Dr. Smith went ahead and did this in a um, anatomy class. They dissected him. It's like who who if the law is silly, it's cool, you know. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So um, so yeah, they he dissected him, took out all the soft tissue and everything like that, his skin, all that, and left. So now he has the skeleton, and he used the wire, some wire, copper wire, to sort of make the skeleton kind of stay together, uh, and various pins and things. Um, and then, as as requested, dressed him in Bentham's, you know, favorite clothes and a black coat, and then he then they took some hay and lavender and stuff and stuffed. Uh, the inside of the clothes that way that are around the skeleton. And so, you know, it looked like a full body, you know, like how he looked in real life. And then they bolted the whole thing to the chair as he requested, um, leaving him in that permanent sitting position in his favorite chair, sort of like, I suppose, like the thinking man, you know, it wasn't in that position, but sort of, I guess that was the point there. He's just, you know, sitting there contemplating things. Um, now, it comes to the head, though, because the head was supposed to be... There's a this, picture this, in the notes. Yeah, the, the head was supposed to be left attached. And so, but they, they needed it to look, you know, like it looked in life. So, so Dr. Smith, he, he looked up and he, uh, he found this, this method of drying out the tissue of the skin and sort of preserving it that way used by the Maori of New Zealand. And so he tried this, uh, but it didn't really work out very well. Uh, it didn't, he, he, whether he didn't do it right or whatever, uh, it came out looking really, really grotesque. Um, as you, you mentioned in the picture here, which I don't know, I'll, spoil, I'll probably link to it. I don't want to put it oh. on the site because it is pretty grotesque. Uh, but you I'll had to put to it, it in the notes though, didn't you? I was like drinking my, yeah. we do this quite early in the morning. I, I wake up and I'm, you know, drinking yeah. a coffee, going through the notes, seeing what we're going to have a chat about. And then there's just this. Yeah. Go have a look at it. Just, I mean, I'm sure if people Google it, Jeremy Bentham's ugly ass head, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. That'll come With up. clearly, clearly fake eyeballs. Yeah, this is Someone... the thing. It's, I was just going to say, it's even more creepy because it's like this weird leathered head. Hair still attached. And then so this hair still attached. It, the hair's in surprisingly good condition. But yeah. the eyeballs are so weird and prominent and blue. Well, it's yeah, because they look they, so they perfect. Look like like they look. Yeah. 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 It's not, not good. Um, but yeah, so it is. So this was a problem because now they didn't have a head for the skeleton uh, to put on the body with the, you know, the clothes and everything. Good so Lord. instead, Dr. Smith went ahead and this is using, the worst um, episode ever. <laughs> using, using pictures, using pictures, they, uh, they had, he had a sculptor make, so wa make a wax sculpture <laughs> of, of the head and they put that on the skeleton instead. And so then they, they put this, what they refer to, of course, as you um, probably if people were listening in the will, the auto icon is what it's referred to. This sort of like mm -hmm. skeleton body thing. Uh, so they What's put it. What's that name? It's like 
I'm like it seems so random. The auto icon. Yeah. Maybe there's a reason. But anyway. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So so then they gave it. Uh, Doctor Southwood Smith eventually gave it to the University College of London, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was in a box, like he like you know just sitting there in the in this giant case basically and so it kind of just sat there at the at the college till around uh, 1898 when the curator of the museum um, decided to remove it and they decided to examine it and what they found uh, besides the clothes being kind of moth-eaten at that point and very wait are we talking about the wax head now or the real head no the whole thing the whole thing the skeleton the clothes the whole shebang is in the city it's sitting in this box just kind of sitting there no one's really doing anything with it it's just sitting there at the college uh closed and so they they find, all right, so yeah, the clothes need replaced and all that and uh, cleaned up a little bit. But what they found when they opened the clothes to sort of see what was inside, they actually found his real head, which had thought, you know, they didn't actually know it was there at that point. So it had been put placed inside the body, the cavity, uh, sort of the abdomen area. Uh, and so, yeah, that was quite a quite a nice discovery of this head sitting there. So then naturally they take the head out and they put it on the floor between his legs and just, you know, leave it there in the box, just like that. Naturally. Naturally, as you would do. Uh, but of course, this is, this is uh, you know, this is college students and stuff. So um, it soon became a thing to steal the head <laughs> and just kind of take it and put it random places, just kind of like hard to reach places, like on the roof. This is exactly buildings. what Bentham imagined when he wrote his will. Yeah, uh, they put it like on the roof of buildings where it's hard to get or like at one point at one point in 1975 a, a group stole the head and then demanded a hundred pounds ransom that had to be donated to a local shelter uh, and then the University College of London they countered with okay we'll give the shelter 10 pounds if you give us the head back and so then the head was returned. Um, so yeah this just became like a thing and finally it, this was kind of the last straw in the 1970s they were like all right enough. We're gonna just take this head and put it in a in you know a secure a secure box in a storage room, um, so that you can you can actually still go see the head if you if you're wanting to look at it for you know academic purposes or whatever. So I don't know we might be able to get access to it at some point. I um, I actually had a look into this. Yeah, um, it seems actually quite difficult because they only oh, really? take it out I think uh, for inspection and like preservation. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. once once a year. I looked into this about six months yeah. ago when we were looking at doing a series of uh, little documentaries in London, and I think I ended up with the fact that they wouldn't let they don't let people do it unless it just happens to be the normal time when they mm-hmm. are yeah looking at the head. That but it seems it seemed quite tricky, but still I don't know if I, I maybe I just made that up so we don't have to go and look at this ugly. No, that totally, that totally makes sense. Yeah, people still have access to it that way, but it's not something that you take out very often. So yeah, but and if you want to go see, apparently, right. Oh, well, yeah, you would think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the, uh, the, if you want to see the rest of him though, the skeleton and the wax head and all that in the clothes, just sitting there, you can go to the, uh, uh, South Cloisters of University College's main building there and you can see it because they open the doors to the box at 8 a.m. every morning and they close around 6 p.m. at night. So you can just go walk by or see his little auto icon thing. Yay. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and sort of keeping to his wishes, uh, while it's not a frequent thing as often is said, uh, it is noted that uh, at least in one instance in 2013, the, the, the auto icon was taken from the box and put in a council meeting uh, during the retirement of Provost Sir Malcolm Grant. Uh, so, so, you know, Bentham got to be present for that. As he wished, you know, him yeah. being the founder of such great and happiness system. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the story of Jeremy Bentham's head. 
which is just, I don't know, it's kind of funny. Like I, I could see that. I could totally see doing something like that, writing something like that in the wheel if you were someone super prominent like that, you know, just like, hey, just I'd like, that. <laughs> it'd be hilarious. Or like that, there was that one, I can't remember the guy's name, but there was a Canadian guy who did, he was quite wealthy and he didn't have the money to leave to anyone. So he just made this like, uh, he's sort of this series of practical jokes in his will of like leaving his property for stuff. And then he had a contest at one point uh, to see who could have the most babies or something within a certain amount of time. Did we make a video about this story? Yeah, yeah, totally. And a lot of his, they were hilarious, some of the practical jokes. And it was, you know, he would like do stuff like, um, so for some of his friends that he knew hated each other or whatever, or just people he knew hated each other, he would like leave that group of people who hated each other, his, you know, I think it was, he had like a a house or something on like a vacation home or something. And so it was all theirs. So now they had to like get along or share this house or, you know, at least get along long enough to sell it or whatever. So it's kind of a funny, he had a series of practical jokes like that, which were pretty funny. Did we do a video about this? Yeah, it was ages ago, but, uh, okay. Good. Good. Is that everything I've, I, I, dude, I have to say, I think I've had enough like weird (laughs) rotting head talk today, to be honest. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's everything to for today. That's everything for today on the main part. We still have some some stuff to talk about. But uh, yeah, I think, well, I think we're going to do one more of this series. Uh, See, I didn't the... realize this was a series until I saw the title of today's. I'm like, Macabre Part 2? What was yeah, Part 1? A... Oh, yeah, the dudes who were killing all those people and selling their bodies last week. Yeah, so we, I think we're going to do one more because I wanted to cover a touch on a couple more serial killers and... um that we haven't covered before anywhere, um, including including uh, a couple of lady serial ki- serial killers, which you don't really you don't yeah, really hear a lot about. A thing, yeah, yeah, those. But that's a, that was a thing as well. So tell you yeah, what, I, though, um, I could on... I could come up with something else. Maybe maybe I'll change my mind. But the uh, I, that's currently what I have planned for next week. I think three in a series is strong. And I tell you, yeah. I tell you what, the uh, I've got another. I've got a YouTube channel called Biographics, and mm. serial killers popular topic yeah well and and serial killers have i think we've discussed before very popular for some weird reason among the lady listeners which i don't i don't get that but if you look at the stats on like pretty much any podcast that, that covers like serial killers as their main topic it's almost exclusively women listeners which is sort of interesting i don't i, I don't seems I don't it, it seems so counterintuitive to me but it's totally uh, but yeah definitely but you case. know i figured I figured after the after the uh, the space podcast, which uh, sort of stereotypically would be more of interest to guys, we should we should throw we should do some some serial killer ones for the ladies. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> such a such a bizarre statement. But then it's, it's like I've watched yeah. a few like I, I think it's it's not just serial killers; it's true crime scenes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, really that, resonate that. with with women, and I. I it's it's fine. Like I've watched a couple of Netflix things, and but it's like it's mm-hmm. never really grabbed me. Yeah, and I don't no, know if that's just because I'm a man, but it's yeah, it's totally curious, it's, right? This is totally curious because also like my wife, who likes nothing to do with anything horror related or anything, can't get enough of the true crime, true crime and serial killer shows and like these sorts of things. Just loves them, and she, uh, you know, it's just so out of character and so weird, uh, but uh, totally a thing. And if you look at sort of the stats of these sort of podcasts and shows and stuff, it's mostly women viewers, which is just fascinating. It'd be interesting to see like. You know why? Why is that? What, what's the, what's appealing about that? So I guess maybe if people want to ring in on the forum, any any women listening, what what is so appealing about these? I'll have a little dig into that. See if I've got something to because I feel like I've been a bit slack on the follow up recently, and I was purposefully looking for things today. I think I've got three, so I'm going to mm-hmm. go do a little digging yeah. and hopefully come back with some answers. I'm sure yeah. there's some psychological reason. Must be. 
Yeah. Yeah. Should we do some feedback? Yes. I mean, not, uh, shall, that's a weird way of saying it. I mean, we've got some <laughs> feedback about our show that we want to address in this part of the show before we get into the bonus facts. So yep. are you ready for this? <laughs> Twin Mama states, and this is a review. It is a review? It is a review. Dear Damon uh, and Simon. This wasn't actually a review. These are some comments uh, that we just got coming in. Oh, wait, where did we get them? Twin Mama definitely sounds like an iTunes reviewer name. Uh, YouTube. <laughs> ah, that's why I'm confused. Okay, so these are comments on the podcast that we posted on YouTube. Yes. Gotcha. Dear David and Simon, I don't listen to podcasts ever on another device than my PC, preferably when I'm ironing. Ah, oh, I think I replied to this. Uh, so I guess I missed a lot of good content and entertaining banter, which is a shame. Could you consider publishing all your brain food podcasts on YouTube eventually, like three or six months after publishing it as a podcast? Maybe I didn't reply to this one. But there was someone who asked a very similar question, and they were asking about whether it was possible to get it anywhere else other than on a podcast app. And I'm like, yes, mm -hmm. definitely. You can get them on our website. Uh, yep. Todayifoundout.com forward slash podcast. Uh, Todayifoundout.com. And then if you look at the header, there is a podcast thing. And if you click the brain food one on there, then yeah, all the, all the episodes are right there. You can actually just load them up in any web browser on your phone or or on the on you know, PC, uh, and then, yeah, just hit play. The, the, the media player is right there, so you don't actually have to subscribe to any podcast uh, like app or anything, use any app like that, or if you just want to go direct. Yeah, and honestly, if you Google Brain Food Show, one word, Brain Food, and then yeah. Space Show, mm -hmm. we got to work out what to do with that. <laughs> um, uh, you're, you're fine to player, so you don't need to download anything. You can just go and listen online. Easy. However... Uh, about the about whether we're publishing on YouTube on YouTube yes we are currently the plan is we'll be doing it a week later um, the clever clever not so clever but like the obvious marketing technique behind that is we'd love people to come and listen on in the in the podcast format um, it just makes sense because it's not really a YouTube style thing we will be putting them on YouTube and they will be one week behind and then we'll be like hey you can go listen to the brand new one right now mm -hmm. on a on yeah. on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That's the plan yeah. at least. Yeah. And there's a very there's a very good reason for that too, is just sort of the practical side of that is that sponsors do not like they don't really care so much about the YouTube views. They're like, what are your downloads? And mm -hmm. uh, even though people are listening either way, but you know, I guess they they like the the downloads on the podcast. So we would prefer people listen to that way. But of course, you know, whatever's convenient, I suppose. As long as people listening, that's what's important. Yeah. Listen, listen however you please if you want to be extra kind. We always appreciate people listening off YouTube and on the, the podcast platform. That helps mm -hmm. us out. So go for it. Twin Mama continues. By the way, I know my great-grandmother knew how to pee stamps. Are we really back on this, man? I had my grandmother, born 1900, talking about her mother-in-law peeing while standing up with spread legs over the roadside ditch and letting it flow. Why do you make me read this? Why do you have to bring this every episode? We're talking about, especially after the shrunken heads and Jeremy Bentham's weird ass skull. <laughs> it's amazing how many how many women are chiming in on this one, uh, and it's just I don't know. I find it hilarious every time. Um, and then, so do you want to read a couple more? <laughs> no. Okay. <sighs> okay. Plus, it's Sensei. just extra funny to make you read them. You know. Yeah, I know. It's hilarious. <laughs> Senzani says, it's not hard to be standing up. You just need to start slowly till a, till a path is established or it can go towards your leg. What's hard is getting it all out. 
you can't. You can also shake off when. No, I'm done. We're moving on. That's enough. No, wait, we do. That's enough. We do have, talk. We do have to I know do one there's more. Another one. No, I Just don't want to do it. Gina nine twenty eight has a good suggestion actually. She, oh, over she, to you, man. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, this one, well, that's good because this one actually doesn't have a quote. She, I just, she, she suggested, she suggested we do the full video on it of the actual technique. Um, I mean, of course, because it would be really hilarious to see you doing that video. But also, also no. a very good select suggestion <laughs> is that we should collaborate with Dr. Doe of Sexplanations, which is a great channel. If yes. no one's seen that one, she does uh, uh, great videos. Um, and yeah, that was actually a, a good, good idea. We should totally email her and be like, hey, want to do this video? Yeah, hey, baby. <laughs> we could just leave it to her. <laughs> That's true. She does. Oh, she I, does can getting, I can't imagine getting my oh, way through that one. She does videos much, much worse than this. Like much yeah. more. She's happy to tackle any of these sort of topics uh, with, without uh, embarrassment. Let's leave it to her professional medical opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Continue to update us with uh, whether you could be standing up uh <laughs> Ladies, Damon loves it because <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, so, uh, okay, moving, moving on, moving on. Moving Lots on. of commenters also noting that yes, uh, that we should upload the podcast to YouTube more. I think we addressed that in Twin Mamas thing. I talked about what we're going to be doing, so let's be doing that. Joel, our, our producer for this show, he makes these, and I've got to get on this a bit more and get the system set up. He makes these great looking graphics which we can upload and. It's just better than like a static image. So yeah, those will those will be on the, the YouTube channel. So don't you worry, everybody. I am on it. Uh, Fruit is for lovers. That's a great name. Now, I'm curious about this one. It's about your pronunciation of nuclear. Mm -hmm. um, why don't I, I, I didn't know how to, how do you say nuclear? Because I see you've phonetically spelled it here, but I still don't understand how that works. So I'm like, what is the uh, other option other than nuclear? I actually go back and forth sometimes, but uh, I think probably just from, I think maybe when I lived in Oklahoma or something, I picked up nuclear, see now I can't even do it wrong, a nuclear, there we go, nuclear uh, as a way to say it instead of nuclear. Uh, and so that is just something I picked up and I actually had someone, I think it must be because from when I lived in Oklahoma as a kid, cause I had someone from Texas being like, you can't, you're just giving us Texans a bad name. Cause they assumed I picked it up from maybe living in Texas. Cause that's must be how people in Texas say it as well. So Oklahoma being right there, I suspect that is where I got it. And so I do say nuclear and I also say breathkist, uh, unless I'm, you know, so there's uh, various things like that, but in the end, you know, it doesn't really matter. Everyone knows what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I'm just not sure I can hear the difference. Nuclear? Nucu no, see. Nuclear. See? Nuclear. 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 Nuclear rather than like nuclear. Exactly. And this is, this I is not... I don't know if that's a big issue, is it? No, see, I don't... I, there's uh, Dennis Miller actually has a, little, has a whole skit on this very thing from like a, his Off-White album, uh, where it's from like the 1990s or something like that, where he, he kind of goes back and forth because different senators and politicians and stuff are doing it both ways and he has like a little skit about how you should learn to pronounce it before you you know are allowed to you know have your finger on the button type of thing Dennis um, Miller's a funny guy yeah yeah so that that album's great back then uh, it's a little bit dated now but I, I actually liked that album when I was a, a teen let me I'm on my favorite pronunciation website how just say h-a-w-j-s-a-y dot com and apparently there's a different pronunciation for British nuclear and American nuclear now mm -hmm. I don't think I can pipe this in, but uh, maybe producer Joel can add in this audio afterwards if you just punch this in. And 
like for English, it's nuclear. And then in the American, he's like, nuclear, nuclear. Mm. I'm not sure if there's a difference or whether he's just doing it with an American accent. But he never does like, he's, he's a British guy who does all the words. And he never is like, you know, um, he'll say it like a regular word and then he'll just say it with an American accent. So I think there must be a difference. But anyway, yeah. people can listen to that. We'll stitch it in now. Nuclear. American nuclear. So. Yeah, but yeah, so a lot of, a lot of people did not care for that uh, on the last couple episodes, but you know. Well, I think I, I didn't, I didn't even notice. Yeah. Uh, I, so. I don't, I didn't, I don't really notice when people say it either way either. And honestly, if you were saying it, I'd probably be like, mm, I'm probably saying it wrong myself. Aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, there you go. It's like a, a case where I was pronouncing it wrong, you know, so that, that works. The final, final bit of follow up, uh, Teddy mm-hmm. B emailed and he says, Hello, you guys said I could email you if I just wanted to talk to you. So, hi, sup, what's up, Teddy? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's all. That good. Yeah, yeah. Good to. Thanks for the email. Uh, and yeah. here is you got a you got a shout out on the podcast, Teddy B. Teddy yeah. B is a great name. It's very easy to say. Teddy mm-hmm. B. Mm-hmm. Teddy B. Brought to you by Teddy B. Yeah. Okay. Um, should we do a bonus fact? You want me to transition? Do you want to do the transition? Well, we do the time. transition. I'm excited yeah. to get to do the transition because Jeremy Bentham, he was the this uh, a philosopher of utilitarianism. Like that was one of his one of his things, and one of the this actually relates very closely to Star Trek, and this is how we segue because you know the the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Is that from that the movie where Spock is in the the thing at yeah. the end and he's yeah. yeah. Um, but this is like a very utilitarian thing. It's like yeah. a nice way of summing up a big yeah. concept of utilitarianism. Yeah. And so that leads us into our Star Trek facts. Over to you, man. Yeah. Which also, uh, coincidentally, also comes with the uh, mentioning of a skeleton in clothes uh, as well. So it's like a double, a the double two, segue. The, the first two a seasons skeleton of Star Trek. Is this to do uh, with the super tight uniforms? Super tight uniforms that they wore in those. Your segue is way more of a stretch than my segue today. <laughs> I'm, take, I'm, I'm taking way, the gold on this one. Way, way more of a stretch. Um, <laughs> oh! Anyways, they, uh, they, they were extremely tight. Everyone, you've probably noticed this if you see. I mean, they were just like skin tight. And this was, they were made of one piece spandex. And they were also intentionally sized too small for the actors. Uh, which uh, which was just to make it so there would never be any wrinkles when they were moving around and sitting and stuff like that. But this, obviously, the actors hated this for many reasons. As I mean, you can probably think of some of them uh, that you might, you know, not just walking around all day on camera wearing skin tight uh, outfits, but also just because it caused a lot of back pain. And uh, actually, eventually, Seriously? That yeah, is, ev- that's tight. Yeah, eventually Patrick Stewart, he, who was quite fed up with it and his back pain that he was having from it, uh, his chiropractor actually uh, gave him, told him to basically tell his producers and stuff that, yeah, this could actually cause damage to his spine if he continues wearing these things for, you know, the, the number of hours a day they would wear them while they were on set. <laughs> They'd be like, guys, I know it's futuristic, but do we have to yeah. wear skin tight clothes all the time? Yeah, so then, uh, so it was around season three there that they then switched. They went ahead and switched to a two-piece, uh, less form-fitting. It's made of wool, a lot more comfortable. Except Far for looking. Except for Counselor Troy, of course. <laughs> she she had to keep wearing the, the tight spandex, which I think uh, many a teen boy fan was quite grateful for. Um, but and so and some of the guest cast members as well. Um, which, by the way, have you ever heard uh, uh, her? Uh, her speak at like their Star Trek conventions and stuff. You can see videos 
of nice. the actress who does it. She is hilarious, like stand-up comedian level. Uh, oh, really? And she has she has these skits that she does. Which she's just talking about, you know, making Star Trek and stuff. They're really funny, really worth Googling and watching. Uh, she has a lot of funny and very frank things to say about like her cast members and things like this that are just hilarious. Um, I didn't have enough to procrastinate on today. So that sounds perfect, yeah. actually. <laughs> no, they're, they're they're quite funny people, people recording them. She always requests, of course, that people don't record them because she doesn't want, you know, uh, the stuff she says so she can be completely frank. But, you know, yeah. everyone does anyway. And they're quite funny all over YouTube. You can see quite a few of them. Um, but yeah. Uh, just Just speaking of, did we... Did we discuss the fact that Patrick Stewart is coming back to Star Trek? Well, we did, but like not. Oh. I think we just mentioned, and that's going to be. Yeah, we had the we had the whole thing about what we should, what the show should be about, and everything. Yeah. And so no, we'll I remember. See. I just wondering if we have talked about it since it is confirmed. Yeah, that's going to be uh, amazing. Hopefully, well, you think Listen. with his clout that it's got to be like they're not, they can't screw it up, right? No. When 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 we when this launches, I think we need to do a second podcast. Which is just us breaking <laughs> down these episodes. We can both watch them. A we special, can come with notes. Yeah. Yeah. Just, a special, uh, a, just a special series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think on that one, I am going to break. Special yeah. podcast. This will never end. Even once yeah. it's done, we just start back again at the beginning and do like a second breakdown. Yeah. I think, I think there, uh, I will break my normal. Normally I like to wait until a show is completely finished, you know, like it's done, it's canceled. If you uh, and then I, will watch. I would be so upset. <laughs> no, but this, this one, I think I'll go ahead and watch. discuss this. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So they so yeah. So yeah they, they, the better uniforms. They switch out, but now these two piece ones made of you know wool, it's a lot less form yeah. fitting. Uh, so this this of course gave rise to the fact that they kept writing up on all the actors, and so uh, most famously Patrick Stewart. If you notice, if you watch the show a lot, he ends up like tugging all the time. He's tugging at his his outfit, and this it's became the Picard maneuver, the, the Picard maneuver, and the just Picard every time maneuver. he sat down or anything like that, he would just be tugging. And this is this is why, because it just kept writing up on him. And this, then now, so people know the Picard maneuver, but have you ever seen the Riker maneuver? What Riker does? Yeah, this this whole video, YouTube video is dedicated to the Riker maneuver and yeah. the Picard maneuver. Yeah, the Riker maneuver is, is I think, more hilarious. It's more elaborate. It's, and, and why? Like, you can at least understand <laughs> why, uh, why uh, Picard maneuver, like tugging down the thing. But Riker... He will approach a seat. So you notice when he sits down, if he can, mm -hmm. obviously when he's in the main chair, he has to just sit down. But if he can approach the seat from behind or to the side, he will walk Always. up to it. He will walk up to it, then swing his leg over the top, like, like he's mounting a horse, basically, <laughs> uh, and then sit down. And then what's even funnier, if you watch some of them, if he then gets up and they haven't broken you know, to another scene or whatever, so they're still showing him, he will stand up reverse that so his leg swings out over the back of the chair backwards and then turn around and then walk off and it's not really clear why why he does this at all but it's pretty funny to watch now i think this is like it's it's unrealistic because really not that many short back chairs exist like because yeah. you look at them and all of the chairs they're like they've got really short backs and the reality yeah. is like Right now, I'm sitting at a chair that has a head support. There is absolutely no way of performing a Riker maneuver into this chair. And I think that's the majority yeah. of chairs. Like, I look around my office, there are very few yeah. Riker maneuver opportune chairs. Yeah. I think it's just like, they must have had, like, these set pieces, like, of really short chairs. Yeah. And it, it does definitely look, it's weird. Yeah. But it does make Riker look super chill. Like, he's yeah. always so relaxed that he'll be in a meeting. And he'll just mount a chair opposite an admiral because yeah. he's Commander Riker. He's yeah. too cool for school. 
Totally. And there are some of them you'll watch and where he could have just easily just sat down normally, just, just like, like a normal person. And he just yeah. like goes out of his way to go behind it and swing his leg over it and then sit that way. It's kind of, I don't know. It's, it's kind of funny when you notice. Oh, yeah. I, how can you not notice? <laughs> Come on, to Riker around Mount's chess. <laughs> There's also it's not on our on our schedule, but have you ever seen the the video uh, Captain Picard and Commander Riker being awesome for twelve hours? No, I have not. So I think it's taken from the first series where it's like we have to blow up the ship, get down to engineering, and initiate the self destruct destruct sequence, and it's just like. There's obviously like a five or six second clip of Commander Riker and Captain Picard walking down like a, just, a, just a corridor with their arms swinging, looking incredibly badass. And someone's put it to like a beat. So it's like boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom. And then just looped it for 12 hours, but they also flip it. So it's like one shot is from the left, one shot's from the, with the camera mirrored. Yeah. And it's just, it's amazing and it's worth watching yeah. and it goes on for 12 hours. So there's that. There's, uh, if you're great. looking for something else to watch, why not check out that video? <laughs> or yet another is the the wharf being wharfed. You know, there's that video where they every time, every time wharf suggests something, it's either a rejected by whoever. They're just like, I don't think so, Mister Wharf. Or in the rare, very rare cases where they're like, You're right, let's do that. It always ends up being the wrong decision, <laughs> and so it always ends up going badly when they do How follow did advice. A bridge officer with these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally and it's it's quite hilarious and if uh if um oh what's the actor's name do you remember michael dawn yeah if he ever gets his wish of that captain wharf show that he's wanting uh it would just be hilarious to see if that trend continues at all because he's yeah, always terrible decisions <laughs> it's always like i don't think so mr wharf <laughs> episode two his entire crew get assimilated by the borg <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh, yeah and there's also Shut Up Wesley. That's another yeah, great one. Yeah, that's, that's Shut a up great Wesley. one as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anything else you want to add to this episode? I think that's everything. And next week we'll be uh, talking about a couple lady serial killers and then, uh, and then we'll move on to something completely different. In the interim before next week, why not go over to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and drop us a review. When we get to 200, uh, 200 reviews, 200 reviews on mm. iTunes, we are giving away a one hundred, uh, a $200 Amazon gift voucher. We'll be going through all of the big platforms and choosing someone at random. We're right now at 181. So that's fairly close. Just 19 mm. reviews. Hopefully we'll crank that by next week. You think we can do it? Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. I think it's possible. Um, Jolly good. This was fun. Leave us a review. We'll be back next week for some uh, for some more macabre stuff. This episode brought to you by shrunkenheads.co.uk. <laughs> 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 <laughs>